I want to um, finish up a little series I've had on here about the baptism of fire. Um, I had a dream here a few weeks ago about being in in flames. I mean, I was engrossed in this fire. It was completely consuming me. And uh, in the dream, I was watching myself uh, in the dream. And I knew that I couldn't get out of it and that I shouldn't want to get out of it because I knew that it was God. I knew it wasn't the devil. And, uh, and the thing I, keep think, I kept thinking about was the Bible did say, John the Baptist did say, that Jesus would come and he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I thought, this is that. And I had never really separated the two, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with this fire. Uh, I always thought they were sort of the same. And, and, and I guess they could be at the same time. But, you know, uh, I actually think there's, there can be two different experiences. And uh, so uh, Jesus himself goes through the very same things that he calls us to go through. And uh, he was baptized. You know, he went to the baptism of John like the whole nation did the baptism of repentance into water at the River Jordan. And uh, uh, he told uh, John to baptize him. John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And he said, no, go ahead and do it because it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. So baptism is part of fulfilling all righteousness. If you have not been baptized, you probably, you know, you should. Uh, and we're planning on that, by the way. There's some people that have asked to be baptized, and we're going to do that. If you're one of them, let us know. Uh, Jesus did it. So it's a good thing. And when he got baptized in water, uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came down like a dove from heaven and landed on him. And the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. So like most of us, you know, when we when we come to know the Lord and, when we, and we get baptized, the Holy Spirit becomes a part of our life. Three years later, Jesus is talking about baptism as a baptism that he had yet to undergo. He said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. So this is right before he was entering into Jerusalem for the last time to be crucified. So it's like two or three months before he got into Jerusalem. He's talking about a baptism still undone. That's in the book of Luke. You can look it up. And he also says, and I've come to bring fire. So he was, you know, putting that in there as well. And the fire that he was bringing would separate. It would divide. He said it would divide family members. Mother from daughter, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, et cetera, et cetera. It would divide. And he says, I'm, I'm distressed until this is accomplished. A couple of months later, he actually talked about that same baptism again, and he said, because he was, he was talking to two of his disciples who wanted to sit on his left hand and right hand in heaven, and he asked him this question. He said, well, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So something happened between those two months where he was talking about how I'm distressed until it takes place, until this moment. Are you able to have the baptism I am baptized with? And to drink the cup that I will drink. And they said yes. And he says and you shall. So that baptism that he was talking about. That baptism with fire. 
is an offering to you. Are you able? Are you able? Now, this all happened, this whole event of, of him looking at the baptism and going ahead and completing the, the process of saying it's going to be, it is done, uh, right, right before he entered into Jerusalem. And he was fulfilling scriptures that prophesied about his sacrifice for us. Jesus was a sacrifice for all, for all mankind. And he always knew it. But there, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. You know, all of you know, do you not know, that you will die one day. Right? It's, it's, it's appointed that a man wants to die. Every one of you got an appointment with death. But do you think about it? I don't. What a bummer to think about something like that. But you know it's coming. And so, kind of like that, Jesus knew why he came to be a sacrifice for everybody. But there comes a moment where the reality of your calling is near and very imminent. becomes very real. And so it was at that moment, the book in, in, in Isaiah 50, it prophesied of Jesus' moment, where he was struggling. Like he said, I struggle. I'm distressed until this is accomplished. Well, the bat, then before he even got to Jerusalem, he said it was accomplished. What it was accomplished was his choice to go ahead and do it. Isaiah 50 talks about it. He prophesied Jesus' experience. And he says, the Lord, Lord has opened my ears to hear. And in this next slide, and I was not rebellious. Very interesting word. Why was he not rebellious? How does that apply? God was about to sh- show him what all this was going to entail. He was going to have his beard st- plucked out. They were going to strike him. They were going to mock him. They were going to beat him in the back. He says, I heard all these things, and I was not rebellious. Instead, I set my face like a flint, and I'm going to go through this. So I think that what happened between the first two, the two times I just mentioned with Jesus, when he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, to the point where he says, it's done. He came to that moment where he settled it, and he chose to continue with this. That struggle inside is the baptism of fire. Okay? It challenges you. Well, and then he offers it for us. And the Bible says that, you know, in Romans 12, it says you should offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable service. You don't have to. But he offers it to you. Just like he did those disciples. Can you do it? And they said, yes. He says, so you will. Well, it's always been so that uh, that this whole business of fire has been something to be de- dealt with. Uh, fire was always used by God in the Old Testament to signify that he accepted your sacrifice. You're supposed to sacrifice yourself. Well, in the Old Testament, if God accepted your sacrifice, oftentimes it was denoted by fire coming down from heaven and consuming the thing. That let you know, I didn't have to never ever sacrifice, but there were some significant ones along the history of life where he did that. To let them know in a really important moment that this was accepted by God. So, uh, it was, uh, it showed the presence of God. Now, everybody knew that, but yet, in the Old Testament, the first time God actually offered the entire nation 
of people to come up into his presence. Mark talked about this in a series of sermons. He invited the whole nation to come up into the mountain. But they chose not to. Why? Because three or four things were going on. The mountain was shaken. And the glory of the Lord was on that thing. Fire was up there. Smoke coming out of there. And they could hear the voice. And they were saying, you go, Moses, we'll stay. And so the invitation being given to everyone was denied by everyone except one. And they sent Moses instead. Now, the Bible says uh, there's another time coming like that. You can go read this in the book of Hebrews 12. There's another shaking. He said, one more time, I want to shake the earth. And there's going to be another time in that same time where the voice from heaven is going to come. You shouldn't resist that voice. It's going to come with fire. It says, God is, our God is a consuming fire. So you should be praying that you learn to serve him acceptably in his way. Because he is a consuming fire. He's drawing us towards it. So I think we're in the same kind of boat. Now, uh, this has actually happened before. Uh, look over in Acts chapter 2. At the making or the beginning of the church. Now, you know the history of the 12 disciples. So I'm, I'm throwing this out here for your benefit, you know, for your uh, encouragement. Uh, in a city of refuge kind of way. Backhanded. You know the history of these 12. They were full of themselves. Right? Jesus repeatedly had to rebuke them for their argument among themselves as to who was the greatest among them. They were full of selfish ambition and vainglory. Such as it is with every church, by the way. That's the way we are. That's what happens with people. They want it all about them. And so he had to work that out of them. And at the very end, when Jesus finally got to Jerusalem, you know, set his face like a flint, and he did the Last Supper, and and promising that they're going to sit, you know, in thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, the whole thing is there. They're still arguing about who's going to be the greatest, right? So they're just like the old saying: "There's no straight trees in the forest. Everybody's a little bit busted." And as soon as he brings it out, hey, and it's not supposed to be like that with you guys. And and immediately Peter said, "Oh, don't worry about it, Jesus. I die for you." And I know one of the versions says, and so said they all. They were all basically setting themselves up for the goalposts of life they kicked through. You know what I mean? And sure enough, we aren't talking days and months later. No, we're talking about the same day. They end up with Jesus as before Pilate and denying they even know him. From I'll die for you to cursing, saying, I don't even know the guy. So did they fall all over their big fat tongue? Voila! <laughs> City of refuge, right? So, but Jesus had already told them, are you able to take the baptism? That I'm baptized with and drink the cup. 
that I'm about to drink? And they said yes. So they're not quite there yet. But now I want to show you where they got their Acts 2. There was 50 days between the events of Jesus' betrayal by them and them being still at Jerusalem in the upper room. Somewhere in there, they too must have made their decision that no matter what it takes, I'm not going to mouth off about it anymore. I see what that gets me. But between me and God, I'm in. I am in. And uh, I don't have to brag about it. In fact, don't even ask me any questions. I will deny that I ever had a conversation with anybody about this. But they were in. And so does God do anything with a sacrifice like that? Well, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came out a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And one of the evidences of that is they began to speak in languages they didn't even know. Okay, so there was a, there was a sacrifice. And, and the good news again it was 50 days after they all blew it. The flesh was exposed. And the next thing you know, the spirit of man was ruling. How great is our God? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Well, we're all called to be a part of that sacrificial thing. And you know, folks, I, I preached this a few weeks ago about the spirit of prophecy. That was a very interesting teaching. If you didn't hear that, that was something to go listen to. I think many people live a prophetic life. I think I, think I do. I think several people that I know in here do. A prophetic life. Uh, the angel at uh, in the book of Revelation that talked to uh, John about the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, here's the bride. She's made herself ready. And John wanted to hit his face to worship this angel. He said, don't do that. He said, I'm of your fellow brethren, the servants, who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. Great, great scripture. And in just a nutshell, what that means is that you, a spirit of prophecy is, is a, a lifestyle where you live out experiences that point toward the fulfillment of this thing that you're experiencing, it, it points for it in Jesus. It's a testimony of Jesus. So, all, like for example, the book of, uh, like David, take David for example, he's got a whole bunch of psalms in there, which we call messianic psalms, psalms about the Messiah. And we know that, that, that the Bible says that Jesus is the son of David. He's also the root of David, which is interesting. So what David did is throughout the books of Psalms, he, he would write this stuff that ended up being prophetic about what Jesus was going to experience when he was on this, uh, on, on this earth. Uh, like Psalm 69 is full of it, where he is speaking out things that Jesus said on the cross. So how the spirit of prophecy works is this. God takes, like Jesus being the root of David, and the offspring, he takes the seed, the seed of, of himself, of Jesus, and he plants it in people. 
He puts a little bit of what Jesus is going to go through in a person. You see it in Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the, a lot of prophets. And it just agitates you. Your life becomes something that you don't understand. And it irritates you or, or does something to you. And you don't even know how to explain it. He says, this is not normal. It really isn't normal. And the only thing you can do is try to explain it some way or another. So you write a psalm or you preach a sermon or you, you live out a life that, that demonstrates this thing. The prophets continuously had to do this. They had to be a sign to their nation to show the, the people the way they were with God. That's the spirit of prophecy. And so what you go through is just a picture of, for people around you, of what's coming and it's going to be fulfilled completely in Christ when he comes back. Did you know this church is full of that? It's full of that. Sometimes you live out experiences you do not understand, and what it really is is God trying to squeeze out of you like a grape or a, a or a, 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 a squeezing something out of you where you express it. And that becomes, get this, the word of God. The testimony that Jesus is going to fulfill. Did I blow you all away? I live that way. I finally found some some stuff written. I did a, I did a search about a Bible software, which has like 2,000 books in it. There are books that go all the way back to, the, to Jesus himself. Books. Books written by the Apostolic Fathers, all kinds of commentaries, lexicons, all kinds of stuff. 2,000. Spirit of Prophecy. And I finally found some stuff written that explains my life. I'm 67 years old before I finally found that's what it meant. That's what it means. You experience something, you're just foretelling what Jesus is going to do at some point. All right? Now, just... I just plant that out there, and then I'll, I'll show you what I mean here a little bit later. Well, uh, we see what happened with these guys. Now, let's look at some other examples of people who lived their life foretelling what the church or Jesus' body or Jesus himself was going to go through. Look at the first offering ever given by a man. It's in Genesis 4. We're told to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, an offering. Just like Jesus did. That's what his baptism of fire was really all about. Will you do that? And you know he struggled with it, folks. I mean, he had one more bout with the dad gun thing when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was begging God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. That's amazing that God was praying to God, take this away. It's strong stuff that we go through. In Genesis 4, after man had fell, there, there needed to be a way to, to interact with God. Holy God, now in, unholy man. How can we connect to one another? It was through offerings. Man would come to offer something to God, you know, sort of like a peace offering. You know, let's have peace here between you and I, please. The first one ever given was in Genesis 4. So start, turn there if you would. Let's just go through it. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time a brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Here we are, offering. 
an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. He also brought, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So let's stop right there. Offering. First time we, we see this word used. And it is the Hebrew word min ka. And it is a gift which denotes the submission of the totality of your life. So what I'm basically just showing you is that I am completely, totally giving myself to you. I'm submitting myself completely to you. Everything about me. Amika. And yet God, in looking at these offerings from these two guys, they both had their offering. Respected one, but not the other. And what that word respect means, it means to keenly gaze at something until it finally ignites it like a fire. And so we had the first example of God accepting an offering with fire by him just looking intently upon what was going on. And you can imagine how that was with God. I mean, he was really looking hard. Not just at the, the the goat or the fruit, but at the person offering it. Because it was just a signal. It was just a, a, a symbol to, uh, from their life to God about what's going on inside of me. So what was he really looking at? Their heart. Are you really doing this? Or are you just giving me a tip? You know what I'm saying? It's like the old deal about breakfast. Who's, which one is uh, the chicken is involved? But the pig is committed like that. Did y'all understand that? I mean, go ahead and explain these jokes to you guys. So he was looking with intensity at these two guys, and that gaze upon Abel's offering was so intense. If I went, fire accepted that thing. And it kind of ticked off his brother. In fact, let's just read. Cain was very angry for 5B. His countenance fell. So the Lord said to him, why are you angry? That's interesting. You get mad because you didn't do the right thing. Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, I love this word accepted here. If you do well, shall you not receive the excellency? Isn't that great? If it's accepted, what's coming back at you is the excellency. Because God is saying that you're totally in. So am I. I want to show you what's the best. Get right back at you. If you just do well. And if you don't do well. Sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So here's my point here. Fire, the fire of God, the baptism of it, reveals sin. Whether it's there or not, it reveals it. And it divides, because it divided these two guys. It revealed the sin of Cain. Now, sin revealed 
is not sin overcome. You should think about that one. Just because you see your sin, that doesn't mean it's over. That just means now you know what you're fighting. You should focus on it. So what did he do? You know what he did. He killed his brother. Now let me say something. The baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit, it began the church. We saw that a while ago in Acts 2. So shall it be at the end of the church age. You'll see the same kind of thing. Cain and Abel is an example of that. At the beginning of mankind, the first offering was like the baptism of fire. So shall it be at the end. And at the end, one brother was divided from the other and killed him. Persecution is coming. When this fullness of this comes, it will be so intense that instead of people just accepting it and trying to get around it and you know, dealing with God, they will instead get angry and they'll fight the one who God accepted. That's coming in the church first. In the church. I mean, you see it coming, folks. It's already happening. Just look around. What's news? It's amazing. You know, when all that stuff happened with this last go around with Trump and that Mueller report came out, what was he vindicated or what? Well, only if you were watching Fox News. If you were watching any of these others, which I did, I got a TV and I can put two of them on at the same time. So I was watching Fox versus CNN and MSNBC. My God, I can't believe the same event happened. What happened? One was angry, and the other was rejoicing. Just saying. It's already started. All right, so that's, that's how this works. Now, this word offering, we said it was a minka. It was a minka. You see this same word again in Malachi 3. Turn over there. So here's the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis 4. Here's the end of the Old Testament. And you'll see the same thing happening in the new. Malachi 3. And the interesting thing about this scripture is it's referring to the end of the day, the end of the age of life itself here on earth, the return of Jesus. Okay? Basically, it kind of covers both of them, his first and his second coming. Chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, what that just referred to was Elijah the prophet. Before every coming of Jesus, the first one and the second one, he is sending his messenger before him to prepare his way. And we know that when he came the first time, it, that messenger that fulfilled Elijah the prophet ministry was John the Baptist. Jesus himself said that. It's happening again. It'll happen again. You just watch. In fact, you can just read these scriptures and you can see that. You know, that Some of it was fulfilled with the first time of Jesus, but all of it wasn't. So it has to be pointing toward the second one. All right, so he, the messenger is coming who prepares his way. That's Elijah. And the Lord, Jesus, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And I'll just say it to you. He is coming. You will see. 
Verse 2, this is the great question. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Why would you ask that question? Next line. For he is like a refiner's fire. He is fire. And he, and like launderer's soap, and he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness or in righteousness. So the first coming, he, it was to purify the sons of Levi. Let me tell you what. In the New Testament, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that, the, that Jesus Christ has made all of us priests and kings to our God. So we too now are the sons of Levi. And so when he comes the second time, he's going to send that same working again, and Jesus will come to purge his people, Gentile or Jew, with fire, so that they can offer this minka to him. An offering that says, I am completely submissive in the totality of my life to you, Lord. There is no other Lord before you. So, and it says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near you for judgment. So the, the process of this baptism of fire is so that he can then come near to us for judgment's sake. And I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners, that's James 5, and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me. So you've got a picture of the entire process there. Elijah comes to prepare the way. Make straight paths for your feet. And then Jesus comes like a fire to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit so that you can offer your entire self to him in total submission to him. All right? And when he has a group of people that do that, then he can come near us as he does judgment around us. You got that? Now, that's not word minka again. An offering. Fire is necessary to make us ready to make, make that kind of offering. Now, it's an interesting thing here. He said, once you do it, I'll draw near. But you actually have to draw near to him before he draws near to you. Because if you go up here, it says, that, look at verse 3 again. The, at the last line, he says, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. That word offering in righteousness is minka. But the word they may offer is a verb. It's not minka. It's a different word. And what that word means is to draw near. The next line, and then I'm going to draw near to you. So he says, I, I want you to change the position that you are in life and come here close to me. There is a place. Next to me. Come here. So close that you could touch him. That you could kiss him. Intimacy. Even like like sexual type thing. Close. Come close to me. Then give me your minka. Your total submission offering. 
then I will come nearer to you. And we will go. And I'm going to do the same. Does that make sense to you guys? So there's a, there's a whole picture of it. Well, draw near. Great word. Draw near. It's kind of used in the opposite way over in Ezekiel chapter 9. Turn over there if you would. This is a very interesting little scripture here. Ezekiel chapter 9. Because in a way, it is a precursor to the book of Revelation. In other words, here comes the spirit of prophecy. These guys are living out what's going to be fulfilled in Jesus' time. Ezekiel 9. We're going to see this word draw near, which is nagash. And it comes in verse 6 of chapter 9. He says to this angel, we'll go back here in a minute, Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not draw near. In other words, Malachi, you draw near, but angels do not get that close to who? Anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Draw near. Don't come there. So what's he talking about? Well, hmm. Let's just back up to chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city, Jerusalem, draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with a battle axe in his hand. One a man among them was clothed with linen and had a rider's ink cord at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, angels, where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the rider's ink horn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. And they said, go out and destroy. So what is this? If you have a Bible like mine, you might look at the footnote down there. Put a mark. What they did was they put this ancient script on them from the Hebrew, uh, the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which looks like an X or a cross. So they were going through the city. This is, like I say, a precursor to the book of Revelation. Hold your place there. Look at Revelation 7. Revelation 7, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, on whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, 
saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number. It's 144,000. And other places in this Bible will let you know those are the remnant of Israel. These are those who will stand next to God. What are they sealed with? Go back to Ezekiel. They're sealed with the symbol of the cross. So before the Antichrist gets to put his mark on people, God first sends out his angels and says, put my mark on those who sigh and weep over the condition of this place. Those who have the mark of the cross, who have come near to God and gave it a mink unto him, said, I am totally submitted to you. He said, you go mark those guys first. And then I will send out the angels to harm everything else. But don't come near my people. You see that same word, come near, don't come near? In Psalm 91, of all places, a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting, isn't it? All this stuff going on around you, but not near you. Why? Because you have drawn near to him. Amen? It should make you feel good. Well, how do they do all this destruction? Is a question. Keep going to chapter 10. It's a continuation. Basically, what chapter 10 does is tells you how they destroyed the city. Chapter 10, uh, verse 2. Then he spoke to the man clothed with the linen. We saw that guy, this angel over here. And he said, go in among the wheels under the angels, the cherub. Fill your hands with coals of fire from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he went in as I was. Jump down to verse 6. Then it happened when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from among the wheels and from among the cherubim, that he went in and stood beside the wheels, and the cherub stretched out his hand from among the cherubim to the fire that was among the cherubim, and he took some of it and put it into the hands of the man clothed in linen, and they took it out and went out. And then he just killed the people with it. All right. So what did fire do? It destroyed the sinners. Amen. Fire represented the divine wrath of God. And it killed sinners. How does that make you feel? I'm not sure. <laughs> Look at Isaiah 6. Same kind of thing. You know, continuously, folks, around here, you've been hearing a message coming forth from this pulpit. Not just me, from others. I want you to come near to me. Come up here. Come into this mountain. Everyone's invited. Come here. It's an offering. I mean, an invitation to all of you. But it takes a sacrifice by you. To do it. That's kind of the message. Isaiah 6 is one of these guys that actually went near. He got close, just like Moses did, like David did, and like all these others. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Those were angels. Angels in Ezekiel, angels in Isaiah. Each one has six wings. And da, 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 da. Verse 3. One cried to the another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, in the book of Exodus, it says that the fire is seen in the glory of God. So the whole earth is full of this. Verse 4. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice. There's a word shaken. By the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. This sounds like Mount Sinai, doesn't it? So I said, what does fire do? Reveal sin. Right? It did it with Cain and Abel. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I got them. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God sounds just like a city of refuge. Unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, angels, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, fire, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Interesting statement. So the same type of thing happens here as happened in Ezekiel. Angels, fire. The Syriac fathers of the, of the church felt like that live coal was representative of Jesus Christ himself. Touched. The difference is, whereas the divine fire of Ezekiel was the wrath which destroys sinners. In this case, the angel takes the fire of God's divine love, which destroys sin, but saves the sinner. But it's a roll of the dice, sort of, isn't it? Did, did Isaiah know this is going to end this way when he stood there? No, he said, I'm not done. I know I am undone. That don't sound like someone who's really brave. It sounds like Peter after he's gotten busted. You know, oh my God. And yet God took care of him with that same fire. So what was bad news to the sinner was great news to those who are redeemed, who have the mark on them. And so from that point forward, what happens? And that's kind of where we are today. All right. So let's just pick that up. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And so he does. He said, Go out and preach. Go tell them the words of the Lord. What did you experience? And verse 11 he says, Well, how long do I preach the words of the Lord? How long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste without, without inhabitants. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and it will return and be for a consuming, as a terebit tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it's cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Folks, I just read to you the end of time. 
That's what's going to happen during the book of, Re- of Revelation. You speak the words of the Lord over what you just went through and the fire that God put you through, and it will begin to do stuff. It becomes either death or life to those that hear. Well, look, I'll tell you what. Look over Second Corinthians, or is it First Corinthians? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death, leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life, leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So see, isn't that interesting? That same fire. It's either going to smoke someone's flesh. That's pretty stinky. The aroma of death. Or if they hear you, it becomes the aroma of life. Because you can say, like Peter said, you guys killed Jesus. But I know you did it in ignorance because I just betrayed him. I'm not putting you down. I'm showing you the way out of you because I was you. So go back to the spirit of prophecy. He's looking for people in this time of the fire. Will you offer yourself up? Because when he does that, he will put into you the testimony of Jesus. Prophetically speaking out the things which are going to happen. Look at Jeremiah. I'll give you another guy who lived that spirit of prophecy. Jeremiah, chapter 5. He was called to be a prophet to the nations. They didn't like what he was prophesying. They were competing with him in what the prophetic word of the Lord was. I wonder if that will happen in our day. Gee, I think so. And because they would resist the one that God knew he sent, Jeremiah. God says this in verse 14 of chapter 5. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, because you guys, you false prophets, are not hearing what my guy is saying, behold, I will make my words, God's words, in your mouth, Jeremiah, I will make my words fire in your mouth. And this people will be wood. And it will devour them. Hello. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Well, that sounds like a great call. How many of you want to be that guy? Said it good to Jeremiah when he was a kid. Later on, not so cool. Look over chapter 20. He got tired of this. Because you know what? They didn't like what he had to say. They didn't like it at all. God asked me when I was called to this ministry, he said, would you rather be, tell me what kind of prophet you'd like to be like, Jeremiah or Jonah? I thought about that. I know. I really thought about that. For I took, I took a while to take that one out. Now, Jonah, he was sent, and a bunch of people repented. 
But it ticked him off. Jeremiah was sent, and nobody repented. And all he did was cry. I said, ah, Jeremiah. <laughs> Idiot. Bad to us. <laughs> Verse 7. Jeremiah's unpopular ministry is a caption above this section. And he's speaking, Jeremiah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> you induced me, and I was persuaded. In other words, God, you set me up. And I went for it again. <laughs> I always do. You're stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder. That was the prophecy he was giving to them. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. That's normal reaction when your flesh is getting Like, I've had enough of this. I'll just shut up. I've thought about this before. I was by the Rio Grande River one day with my feet in the water just sitting there thinking, I'm over this. I am done. I don't want any more of this ministry. I just quit my full-time job in, in corporate America. To go full time in the ministry and it was nothing but a big pile of from that point forward. And nine months later, I'm sitting by the real grass and my son was in, on a mission trip and I said, I was looking at God or talking to God. I said, you know, I know I should be praying and asking that my son will find you there and know you. But you know what? I don't want him to know you. How about that one? Why would I want him to know? Someone who treats your friends like that. Like you've treated me. I'm done. Some of you know the story. I get into my car to drive home. I plug this Hosanna tape in. I don't know why I would do that because I was really ticked. And the first song came on and God spoke to me and says, this song is unto you. I can't remember who sang it, but the name of the song was Keep on doing what you know is right. Still weren't convinced. Come home. I know I need to mow my grass because I'm in Colorado too long. So I get in the backyard. I start mowing my grass. You know how you go around the edges, do a full circle, and go around. And I go underneath, finally, my fruitless pear tree. Dad comes a pear there. So I stop and I pick it up and I throw it on my neighbor's fence. Came back around again. There's another pair there. Oh, son of a gun. Pick it up. Did it around again. And another pair under my fruitless pear tree. And I stopped it on. And I said, what the heck? There were seven of them. And then I said, okay. <laughs> I'll keep going. And that's the way Jeremiah's feeling right here. God spoke to me that day. He says, I can, I can make fruit out of what you would try to be cursed. I'll say it with it. And this is where he was in verse 9. I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. <laughs> but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. 
Let fire again. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. So he began to pr- prophesy again. And, I mean, they begin to mock him again. They become his enemies. Look at verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will be never forgotten. But, Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. What a word. Spirit of prophecy that will be fulfilled in Revelation. Turn over there. Chapter 11. Verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Which is a symbol to everyone around them. You, you should repent. Everybody should repent. It's not a condemnation. It's a message to repent to the world. Please turn back to God. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before they drew near. Standing before the God of the earth. Look at verse 5. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild, folks? See, sometimes you think your experiences in life mean nothing. Oh, no, no, no. They mean everything. Especially in this day. Especially for a lot of people in you in this church. I can't say this about every church. I really can't. But many of you are here because you have a life called to be Marked by the spirit of prophecy. You live out things that point to what's fixing to happen. Because God wants to use you. He wants to put his word of testimony. I was messed up, but God. Put that in you so that when we go out at the last, he wants to save everybody. And so you're going to find a lot of people that are going to hear your testimony. But it'll be like fire coming out of you. And you, you, that's not bad if they want to turn to God. I mean, we see seen example after example. If it was right, they're going to love it. It's going to consume their sin, but save them. But to those who are playing games, boom! That's what's ahead of us. Did y'all hear that? I mean, I hope you heard that. I don't know what else to tell you. I feel like sometimes John the Baptist and Jesus all the same time. I come in and I dance and you don't get it. And I don't dance, you don't get it. Get it! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Because I do love you guys. That well, let me tell you what kind of fire that was. Ah! <laughs> that was a smoker. And tonight, Miguel is reading the hot word of the Lord. 
I'll tell you what, if you don't want anybody that stands up here, you get a notice of this. This spirit of prophecy is on. It's a smoker. But I continue to stand amazed at how we just duck and blow it off. Oh, boy. My God. I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. I feel like, what was that, the Lord of the Rings? Who was the? No, the guy with beard. The, the, I feel like Gandalf. Run, you fools! Thanks. <laughs> you should should hear what's going down. What'd you say? <laughs> I heard a smart remark over there in the in the cheap seats. <laughs> yeah, I actually thank God for all you crazy idiots. Our favorite saying right here is we're all bozos on this bus. Bozo the clown. Who's driving? Bozo. Any bozo will do. <laughs> You're all bozos. So am I. I signed up for this. And I re-signed up for it. That's what's really crazy. That's really crazy. When I re-signed up, I met my baptism of fire. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these people. I really pray for these people, God. I'm, I'm not kidding. You are a consuming fire. But we can't help but love you. So there we have the problem, isn't it? That's the definition of it all right there. I love you so much, I can't stand not being with you. But the closer I get to you, the more I get burned up alive. And yet I live. And the crazy thing, the only thing left standing here is the ropes which bound me and the hands which are lifted up to the one that loved me. Thank God. I'll take that. Let it be unto us, Lord, according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you tonight.